Hey, good morning, West Bulls. I would like to take you back to a song from years ago that many of you may know. And uh, if you're a parent watching this, please know as a pastor, I do not endorse this song, but I just thought it was the greatest song in the world. When I was in high school, we would play it before our wrestling matches just to get pumped up. It is Metallica and the song is Enter Sandman. Let me just take you to the chorus. I'd like to know as you're sitting here watching this, if you know the lyrics to this song. It goes like this, and it's a song about ultimately bad dreams. It says, exit light, enter night. If you're looking for me to perform this like they did, I'm not doing it. Exit light, enter night, take my hand, we're off to never, never land. Everybody knows those are the lyrics to that song. Or so I thought. Years ago, we were on a youth trip and there were a bunch of people just, everybody got singing, we were, we were tired and so we're just coming up with songs to sing. We're singing the lyrics to this song, a whole group of us, and next to me, this girl, when we got to We're Off to Never Neverland, sang, I'll love you like I never have. And I stopped and I went, that is the, that's, that's not the, the, those aren't the words. And she said, those are the words. And I said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It doesn't even work with the idea of a bad dream going on. Well, we finally looked it up. I was right. So I was just so happy to be able to say to her, I was right. Not to be outdone years later, one of the most intense arguments my sister and I have ever gotten in as adults came when um, we had set a mouse trap. It had caught a mouse. And she was sitting there looking at it and she said, I mean, it's, it's amazing that they even find their way into that trap. And I went, not really, there's cheese. They see and smell the cheese and they go for the cheese and it traps them, it's the whole idea. She said, well, no, what's amazing is like they're blind. And I went, what? She said, mice are blind. And I was like, no, they're not. Like they don't, they don't have great vision, but they're not blind. She said, uh, Remember the song, Three Blind Mice? <laughs> and I, I just thought, the nursery rhyme industry has corrupted your thinking. Like, where did that come from? <sighs> we did some research. I was right. Mice have poor vision, but they're not blind. Anyway, Kyla, I hope you're watching. So I can't point, I can't point at this girl years ago or my sister without pointing at me because I can take you back to a time where uh, Guns N' Roses, they, they had this album come out called Appetite for Destruction. And on there, they had this song called Take Me Down to the Paradise City. And as a child, I always thought it said, take me down to the prairie dog city, where the grass is green and the girls are pretty. Now, I, you can imagine, we lived by a prairie dog field. Oh my gosh. <laughs> can we just cut? All right, I can get through the story. We drive by this prairie dog field, and I'm looking out there and I'm thinking, there's no green grass, and there are no pretty girls. I mean, my fourth grade crush, Amber, where is she to be seen? She's, she's not in this field. Finally, somebody told me it's Paradise City, and suddenly, suddenly, it made all the sense in the world. Just like it made all the sense in the world to the girl who finally learned the Metallica lyrics. To my sister who realized that three blind mice is not a statement that all mice are blind. And so I say all that to say, have you ever considered where we get our viewpoints from? I mean, I've, I've, I've wondered a lot, especially this last week. 
you don't have to look far on social media to see to see some uh, that everybody's got a viewpoint on what's going on right now. Um, obviously, the death of George Floyd has been um, at the top of the news, and the ensuing protests and riots have brought out opinions from everybody. And it's something that, as Christians, we really ought to consider. And, and it's something that Peter's first letter to the church actually speaks so well to. And I believe it's no coincidence that we are going through Peter's first letter to the church and uh, just how relevant and applicable it is to what we're seeing in front of us right now. The truth is, we all have a viewpoint, whether we voice it or not. But here's the thing about our views. Stephen Covey was right when he said this. We see the world not as it is, but as we are, or as we are conditioned to see it. I suppose what surprised me most this last week, as I just read through the viewpoints, and I even watched some interviews, was not so much the number of viewpoints, but the actual viewpoints of people that I know to be Christ followers. And the reason I was surprised is because I was actually troubled. I was troubled by some of the viewpoints I was reading, because when I hold that viewpoint up against what Jesus said and, and how Jesus lived, I, I see some tension. And perhaps the reason I was troubled is because I was even troubled at what it unearthed in me and some of my own viewpoints, when I hold my own views up to what Jesus said and how Jesus lived. And the thing that we as Christ followers have to remember is that our views are not the starting point or the ending point. They may be talking points, but they are not the starting point or the ending point for us. For those who follow Christ and have submitted their lives to him, our starting and ending point is not our views. It's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with that in mind, then some of us have to look around, as I, as I even had to this week, I had to look in the mirror and I had to realize that I hold some views that may very well be holding me back in light of the good news of the gospel. See, our views could actually get in the way of the good news that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's why that's important. Because if I go through my life trying to enforce and verbalize and even live out my views, and I haven't held those up to the good news of Jesus Christ, that is a tiring, draining journey for every single one of us. But if our viewpoints have been shaped by holding them up to the good news of the gospel— then there's something completely different that comes out of our lives. And there's a fruit that our lives bear that actually nourishes the rest of the world. In the case of Peter, it actually produces living hope. And it causes people to ask, what is that? You engage these circumstances differently. There's perhaps no better candidate than Peter. Because Peter, who wrote this letter to the church during difficult times, I have to wonder over and over if he looked back upon his life, as we all naturally do, and perhaps remembered the final night of Jesus' life. Some soldiers come to arrest Jesus, and when Jesus says they're here, it's time, Peter draws his sword and he actually cuts off the ear of a Roman soldier. And as I, as I look at that, I thought, how many times do we because we haven't necessarily completely submitted our views to, to Jesus and his good news, how many times do we draw the sword of our own viewpoints and wound somebody with it? 
And decades later, as Peter perhaps reflected on this incident and wrote this letter to the church, he, he takes a, a different approach and one that we would do well to listen to and take heed of. Here's what Peter has to say in chapter 4 of his first letter to the church. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. It's, can you hear the choice that Peter's setting before us there? Peter is saying, look, you could wield the sword of your own views and walk around with it and swing it at everybody, or you could submit to one who already suffered. And he already suffered on your behalf, which means you have the option and I have the option of living a completely different life and one that submits to something much greater, the good news of the gospel. And so there's a choice set before us. Will I choose my views or the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And if we as Christ followers have committed ourselves to the advancement of the good news of the gospel and its progress, then if you follow what Peter says next, it actually means some very practical things for our lives. Five things actually that I count in here. And I want us to walk through them. The first thing he points at is that we have to be willing to be misunderstood. Take a look at what he says. Verse 3. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. The reason people heap abuse on Christians is because it is our human nature to misunderstand the gospel. It, it just it is very hard for us to grasp. I want to take you back into chapter 3, one verse. There are four parts to this verse that are just our human nature completely misunderstands. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Four things here that we misunderstand. The first thing we misunderstand is our need. We completely misunderstand that our need is for our sin to be dealt with. Now, that's not a popular, that's not a popular uh, sentence to say to anybody. To walk around and say, you have sin that needs to be dealt with, it's just not anything any of us wants to hear. And so, if you look at our culture at large, what happens is people would downplay it. And they say, well, that's not, that's not sin, that's just part of who I am. That's part of my identity. And Peter would say, no, it's, it's sin. In fact, all of scripture and God would say, no, it's sin. You have a deep need that has to be dealt with. As the verse continues, and as I look at it, I, I see something else that's misunderstood, and it's the payment for our sin. See, oftentimes in our human condition, we think, I'll fix it. If, if I just do better, if I just perform better, if I just obey enough, then I'll overwrite all of my sin. And yet this verse would say, no, no. The way, the, the, the way forward from your sin, the payment for your sin was not even paid by you. Or your best ability, your best deed on your best day, the most perfect track record still falls short. See, Jesus' death was the only thing that could pay for our sin. 
We have a hard time with that because we want to make the payment for our sins. The third thing that the verse gets at that we misunderstand is the sufficiency of his payment. It says Christ died once for sins. I have to admit that if there's one piece I've misunderstood for a lot of my Christian life, it's this one. Because I feel like at times I look back and there must be 18 different times I've asked Jesus into my heart. Because I'm worried that the first 17 maybe didn't take. And as I talk to people, that is the case with so, so, so many of us. And yet this verse, Peter reminds us, he died once for our sins and it was sufficient. Finally, the other thing we misunderstand is the outcome. The outcome of the good news of the gospel is not a smooth life. It is not earthly riches and treasure. It's just not. It could be an even more difficult life here on earth. The outcome of the good news of the gospel is that we were given access to our Heavenly Father and we were reconciled to Him so that we would have a relationship with him and that when he looks upon us he sees the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ at the cross on our behalf and he's pleased with us and so when culture looks at Christians and says and they and they heap abuse on Christians it's because this is not a natural way to live to trust in the payment of someone else one time to restore and reconcile all of us to our Heavenly Father that's foolish in the eyes of the world. Peter says, number one, you, you got to be willing to be misunderstood. But there's a second piece to it. He says, in the willingness to be misunderstood, it's going to require you to be alert. Look at what he says next. Chapter 4, verse 7, he says this, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind. Can you hear his emphasis there? It's on this drunk thinking. We think of drunk thinking and we think of somebody who's had too much alcohol, but truth be told, we can all get drunk in our thinking with different kinds of things. And we've seen it this last week. I've seen many people who've made the statement, I'm going I'm to sign off of social media for a while. And I don't blame you. Because to sit and stare at viewpoint after viewpoint after viewpoint can get tiring. It begin, can begin to sway our thinking. If you stare at enough news headlines, you get inebriated and influenced by all the news headlines. And ultimately, the effect of it is just anxiety and fear and worry and maybe even anger and rage. Instead, instead, Peter says, be alert. Now, Peter can relate to this drunk thinking because if you go back to the last night of Jesus' life, consider what Peter was thinking about at the dinner table. If you walk back through John chapter 13, you see a side of Peter that is worried about Peter. Peter, when, when Jesus comes to wash his feet, he says, no, I don't need it, Lord. As if to say, I, I don't need to be cleaned up. I'm good. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. And suddenly Peter swings to the other end of the spectrum and he says, then, then wash all of me. See, Peter couldn't see Peter's actual need. And the result was later that night, Peter had become so exhausted from thinking about himself that he couldn't even stay awake when Jesus asked the disciples to pray. 
Now you've been there, we've all been there, when you're so tired that you put the milk back in the pantry and the cereal back in the shower, and that's what drunk thinking does to us. It just affects our actions to the point that they make no sense whatsoever. Instead, Peter says, be alert. And if you were to look around scripture, you want to know how you stay alert and you keep a sober mind? It's this. It's this right here. What does it say? Because for those who follow Christ, it's the word of God that is actually the guidance and the authority for how we live and how we think and how we love others. So having pointed out that we've got to be willing to be misunderstood, we've got to stay alert, Peter lands on the next part of his statement. Be prayerful. Here's what he has to say. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. I got to share this a little bit if, you were, if you're on our email this last week, but whenever, whenever there's any kind of tragedy or, or big current event going on, I've noticed in recent years that there's a tendency to downplay and even point at what is wrong with offering thoughts and prayers. And I can understand the spirit behind it. The, the spirit behind it is that ultimately there should be some good and helpful actions that help with the problem. But here's the thing for Christ followers. Prayer is the action that guides all other action. It has to be the action that guides all other action. And Peter would tell you, man, I, I was so caught up that last night of Jesus' life. I was so caught up in what I thought was important that I couldn't even stay awake. I, I, was, I was actually asleep. We, we read about the account of it. He falls asleep multiple times during Jesus' hour of need when he asked his disciples to pray. And so the question for us as Christians is, is our starting point a place of prayer? Because if we don't get that right, then we don't get any of what Peter says next right. Having said, we've got to be misunderstood, that we've got to be alert, and we've got to be prayerful, Peter moves into the next piece of what he has to say. Verse 8, above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. See, the action that flows out of being prayerful is being loving. And if you look at the word here, the Greek word for the word deeply is actually strained, as in the fullest amount, every last drop. Think, think when you watch a boxing match, when it gets to round 12, and not just round 12, but the final 15, 20 seconds of round 12. Where, where these two tired fighters finally just reach deep down and with every last drop, it's a furious finish. Or think the end of a race, that, that after a runner has run maybe a marathon, that final hundred yards, they're giving it everything they've got. Think two-minute warning in football. This strategy that this, this team has operated with the entire game, all of it's thrown out and they reach deep into the playbook with every last drop. We love one another deeply. And Peter actually drills down on what that looks like in the next verse. Verse 9, he says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And the thing that 
that really strikes me about that verse there is it's so practical. We, we picture hospitality and we picture welcoming people into our homes. You could even go to Acts chapter 2 at the early church toward the end of chapter 2. It talks about the believers who lived with one another. They had everything in common. They sold their possessions so that nobody lived in a state of need. And, and I believe that Peter is getting at something very practical there. But remember, the umbrella over all this is an attitude, an attitude of hospitality. And as I think about what we're watching going on in front of us right now, I think it's worth all of us asking ourselves, am I hospitable to other people, other beliefs, other races, other upbringings, other background, other traditions, other ways of thinking, other political affiliations. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Peter says, be hospitable without grumbling. See, without grumbling means truly looking at somebody and saying, what can I truly do for them? Instead of, what can I do for them, but holding back what I don't want to lose? Peter says we offer all of ourselves to them. That's part one of loving one another deeply, but then he moves into a second piece, and he says this, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So there's something so striking about what Peter's saying here, that that we're not only hospitable to one another, but we actually give from the gift we've been given. Maybe the, the, the most striking picture of withholding our gift from somebody is something that I heard my father-in-law say. He said, when we've been given a gift from God and we fail to use that to serve other people, it's like being given a, a check for $2 million and never going to the bank to cash that check. Let that not be said of us. And having said that we've got to be willing to be misunderstood, we've got to be alert, we've got to be prayerful, we've got to be loving in in a deep way. Peter lands on one other piece, that the follower of Christ, who wants to advance the good news over their own views, that the follower of Christ has to embody. And it's this. Chapter 4, verse 12 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised. See, there's, there's four things we got to be willing to be, and then Peter says the fifth one is do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. I mean, isn't that how we handle trial? You know, the fog of the trial sets in, and we're suddenly we're insulted, and we're mad, and we're shocked that this could be happening to us. He says, don't be surprised, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. 
this, this part was convicting for me because I'm reminded of how many times I walk through this life and I'm just so surprised by every difficult moment or every trial that comes along. And yet Peter would say, no, 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 it's, it's to be expected. Don't be surprised. Don't, don't use all your energy and exhaust all your strength in putting up your defenses, trying to avoid every trial. Because for those who follow Christ, who want to advance the good news over their own views, there are some trials that he is going to make worth it. I'm reminded, I'm reminded back in high school when I was in wrestling, the first wrestling match I ever had was at Stanley Lake High School up north of us. And when you walk into their gym, over the doors of their gym, they're the Stanley Lake Gators. It says, welcome to the swamp. And I can remember on the bus ride up there, um, I, I had a coach that just laid it out to us. He said, it's, this is gonna be awful. For those of you that this is your first match, this is going to be awful. And I remember when we got to the doors of that gym going, oh my gosh, we're gonna wrestle crocodiles tonight. And yet there's something about those words that said, look, there's going to be trial. It's gonna be terrible. It's gonna feel terrible. There's something really reassuring in being told that, especially when it's a trial for Christ. And so, Peter, once again, he sets the choice before us. What are we going to choose? Will I choose my views or the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because there's something at stake for the church and for the cause of Christ in making that decision. And if we decide that we want to live for the advancement of the good news of the gospel, Peter says what he says next in verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And, and there's that word that we all get so scared of, right? Judgment. Because when we picture judgment, we think being cast into the lake of fire and being condemned. And Peter says, no, no, no. For those who want to advance the good news of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's time for us to look in the mirror. It's time for us to look in the mirror and say, do my views submit to and line up with and align, align under the good news of the gospel? And here's why that's important. Because next week, as we wrap up this series, you're gonna see that eventually there's gonna be a next time. Eventually, right now is gonna be in the rear view. And somebody's going to be watching you walk through it, which means you're going to be leading somebody through difficult times at some point. And so that looking in the mirror now, aligning my views with the good news, that is the best possible position to be in because it puts us in a position like Peter, who looked back in the rear view and he was able to look around at the current events, the current situation, and still hold up the good news of the gospel. So let us consider this week, what will I choose? My views or his good news? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are reminded. We're reminded that for all the different viewpoints out there, for all the different viewpoints that even stir around and run around inside of us at any given time, that ultimately none of them, none of them bears the fruit of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so would you, would you just hold up the mirror to us this week in your gentle, loving, patient, and kind way? 
Would you hold up the mirror to every single one of us and expose where our viewpoints may deviate from, from the ultimate, ultimate good news of the gospel? Would you just expose that within us this week and remind us that that kind of judgment is not one that condemns, it's one that brings forth life. Heavenly Father, we pray for our world right now. We pray for our country. Everything that's going on in front of us, there is some true injustice that we have seen in many different forms. And Heavenly Father, we know that ultimately none of it is completely restored until you return. But we want to be those who point people to hope, to living hope that we find in your gospel. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. West Bulls, thank you for joining us. We'll see you soon.